this was a fucking bomb dropping on Beaver Cleaverville. For a few seconds, this place was Armageddon. There was a firefight! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Rancid Taco Movie Review Podcast. I'm Skylar Sanders, here with my cross-dressing detective friend, Mason Weir. Yep, I've had a little bit of time to think about it, and I've decided that labeling me cross-dressing or saying Willem Dafoe's performance is that of a cross-dresser is belittling to his great performance that he puts on in this movie. Well, no, it's not. He's a cross-dresser. It's not like he's a transsexual or anything like that. He's just cross-dressing. Well, I only say that because when I watched this movie 15 years ago, I remembered thinking, oh, Willem Dafoe's a cross-dresser half the time. And he's actually not. He's just in like the last two or three minutes. Yeah, just that one scene. But, uh, you know, it's like, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's not belittling to him. What are you saying about cross-dressers? Don't, <laughs> don't you start. Don't you start. <laughs> All right. What are we reviewing? We're reviewing Boondock Saints. Hell yeah. We're continuing Bad Movie March. It got 28% on Rotten Tomatoes. This is the new low for us. Cold-blooded. Yeah, and it came out in 1999. Why the hell is it 28%? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I watched it and... uh I mean, but that's the point of these. We watched the last one, and I would say we both graded it above the Rotten Tomato grade, right? Yeah, definitely. And this one, I feel like, is probably going to land there, too. Like, it's a, it's it's an underrated movie by Rotten Tomatoes uh, standards. I enjoyed a lot of things about this movie. There were a few things I didn't like, and it's definitely not a perfect movie. No, no, no. But I'm interested in maybe we can dig a little deeper and find out why people didn't like this movie. Maybe we can figure it out. Yeah, I don't know. Let's see, because I uh, I rewatched it, and uh, and like you said, it's not a perfect movie. It's not even like a top-tier movie, but it's definitely not a bad movie. No, and if we're uh, anywhere near as good as Willem Dafoe's character is at solving crimes, oh. and we'll Dude. figure this shit out in no time. His character is uh, inspiring. His character is fucking brilliant, the way he yeah. plays it. I've decided this may be his second-best performance. Well, I know you were going to say that because I know you're a huge fan of The Lighthouse and he's going to be number one for you in The Lighthouse. But to be honest, I, I could rival it up there with The Lighthouse performance. It's it's really good. I'm not going to argue too much because he uh, he blows me out of the water with just how – I mean, he's just pure entertainment. He's so entertaining in this movie. Yeah, the intensity, the the, the whatever he brings to the screen, you just can't take your eyes off of him. No, he's he's really rocking it, and he's he's the star of the show. We'll get to. I guess it's a good time to talk about the cast. Let's talk yeah. about the cast. All right. And this is and, a very interesting cast, I think. Yeah, yeah. There's some interesting decisions about this cast too, about uh, options to play people. So uh, originally, so Willem Dafoe plays Paul Smecker. Uh, he's a brilliant but emotionally troubled FBI special agent as the description would get, would give him here. And, and uh, apparently they had a few different people that they were considering for that. Uh, Sylvester Stallone. (laughs) Yeah. Bill Murray, Mike Myers. Oh God. Yeah. 
Kevin Spacey and Robert De Niro. Imagine any of those guys. Maybe De Niro could have pulled it off a little bit. I think Spacey's probably Kevin Spacey's probably the closest that I could see doing it. Uh, I wonder why. I don't start that again. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Willem Dafoe is the lead and the star of this movie. I agree with that. Uh, he was also in The Lighthouse, Platoon, Spider-Man, just some of his great performances, among many. I mean, he's, he's a legend. He's a living legend. Yeah, he's 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 a, uh, an incredible actor. I've never seen him do anything in, that I've been like, bad performance, or even lackluster performance. Everything I've seen him in is just top-notch. He's so distinctive-looking. You would think he would be typecast as a character actor, but he's not. He's a leading man in a lot of movies. He's, he's well, really good. I, he is a character actor in the sense that he's somebody new pretty much in every, in everything he's in. Like it's not, it's not Willem Dafoe relying on Willem Dafoe. Like he's a new person. Like he has his things that are recognizable, particularly the strange faces he makes. But, uh, but uh, he is always a new human being in front of us on the screen. Yeah. I will say there were a few times in this movie that I, I found myself smiling or, or chuckling out loud just at the things that he's doing and saying and I mean his delivery of the lines I can tell they're not written to be mm-hmm. so perfect and they're so great the way he just he's just the best yeah and that's one of the things about this movie is I don't even think the dialogue is really that awesome but he just he he spices it up perfectly one actor I would say is not legendary maybe you'll disagree but uh, the the titular saints are these pair of brothers one of mm-hmm. them went on to become uh, Daryl from The Walking Dead, Norman Reedus. Mm-hmm. And he's pretty good. I liked him in this. But his brother, played by Sean Patrick Flannery, oh, I thought he was terrible. I thought the uh, second Saint was bad. Yeah, I actually didn't like either of them, to be honest. Like, I was not a fan of either one. Like, I, the, uh, Norman Reedus, the one Murphy McManus, his, his accent kept going in and out, I feel like. Or yeah, was the changed. accent was very spotty. I agree with that. It was spotty, and he was like, and just not accurate, I didn't think. And then the other brother, uh, yeah, there was just not much that was memorable about them, I guess. They had a pretty uh, good chemistry with each other, but I felt like the brother went from zero to 60 all the time, and it was just they, not, not good. They definitely fit the role, like, casting-wise. They looked apart, the and they, they kind of didn't have to do a lot because, to be honest, they are not real talkative characters, so they, kind of, they, do, they do enough talking, but, you know, not much. So interestingly enough about them, originally cast to play them, uh, Stephen Dorff and Mark Wahlberg. Oh, I would have loved that. I love, I love both those guys. Stephen Dorff, I don't know much about, but uh, Mark Wahlberg, definitely I could see doing that. And this was, he turned it down to do Boogie Nights. Well, that's, that's probably a good decision. Yeah, so. Stephen so that... Dorff was in Major Leagues. He was that uh, arrogant shortstop, and he also was in the the most recent season of True Detective. Yeah, I'm looking at a picture of him now. I, I do know, I do recognize him, but uh, I think I recognize him as like, wasn't he in a vampire movie where he played the villain? Uh, like, he might have been in True Blood, possibly. No, it was like on. It was uh, it was Blade, maybe the second or third Blade. Oh, okay, yeah, that could have been. Yeah, yeah, so. He, he he was not bad in that. So I would have that would have been interesting. It would that would have because the the cast was sort of lacking other than De, other than um, Defoe. Uh, the rest of the cast was just sort of like meh. And to add a couple other 
decent actors in there would have made it a lot more interesting, I think. Well, I, I wanted to get your opinion on Rocco because I think first and foremost, maybe a reason some people didn't like this movie was Rocco. And I stopped liking the movie as much when he became a central character. I did not like Rocco's performance, his character, the actor. I didn't like anything about Rocco. Yeah, I at first I thought that I, I didn't, but then I, I thought it was an appropriate casting choice because he's he is like the the goofball, the butt of the joke, and that's what his character was doing. He doesn't look very Italian, so I don't know what they were doing with his hair and beard thing. He like, looked like Serpico. Yeah, yeah, or I, like maybe an Italian midfielder for the soccer team or something like, you know, just <laughs> like – he didn't look like a gangster. He looked like a soccer he, player. Yeah, exactly. He didn't look like a he didn't look like a guy that belonged in the in the in the Italian mafia, which is what he which is what he's part of. But then it started making sense to me that he's like a number runner and a bat errand boy. So he doesn't really fit in, and they eventually are going to have him killed. You know, so it kind of makes sense that he doesn't fit in with the Italian mafia, and that's why he joins these two Irish guys in their quest for you know uh, vigilantism, but. Uh, so I, I thought about it and I, I'm, while I'm not a big fan of his performance, I actually like the casting choice. I think he kind of, kind of does fit the role. Did you just spoil the climax of the movie during the cast reading? What climax? No, I didn't, I didn't say anything about the climax. You said they're, they're going to kill Rocco later on that no one kills Rocco. He lives. I didn't say anything about killing Rocco. You, you just said it. You said, you said, well, he's, he's in the Italian mafia, but they're going to try to kill him later. So. The Italian mafia tries to kill him. Oh God! No, Rocco lives. That, ha- that happens in the first third of the movie. The, the... <laughs> Moving on. You spoiled. Two... You spoiled that one, not me. No, Rocco. Rocco lives the whole time. He's a great right. guy. He's a great hey, guy. I win the podcast. No, you just lost it. Mm. It's on you the spoiled. Tape. You spoiled the podcast. You're gonna have to cut that out. <laughs> Whatever. I'm not okay. cutting it. Nothing's getting cut. <laughs> Right. Uh, two other guys I wanted to bring up is we have a, a horrible criminal that everyone used to love, especially around the turn of the century here, that is now an awful person, and that is Ron Jeremy plays a underboss. Oh, yeah. Mafia. Is, it, is it just me, or is Ron Jeremy like the greasiest human on Earth? He's disgusting. He's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, did... he's, he's the personification of what you can do with a giant dick and nothing else. Yeah. I mean, to live the life of that guy, just he got laid by beautiful women all the time back in his heyday. And even when he was young, it's not like he was sexy. He was still just a hairy little furball with a big dick. You yeah. know? And... How do you think they're treating him in jail? Ugh, I hope, I hope they're giving it to him as good as he gave it. Well, I'm wondering if he's like uh, revered by the other prisoners as, you know, it's Ron Jeremy or they're like, hey, man, you're a fucking rapist. So which is it? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can't assume him. I can't assume that he's a physical threat to anybody in jail. So maybe he's got some street cred. Maybe he's got some cred just from being in the porn industry. But maybe. Oh, one other thing I wanted to point out about Rocco before we move on from him is in his uh, Wikipedia page, he's described as a friend of the director. So that sound you hear is me rolling my eyes. Like, stop giving mm-hmm. dudes jobs. Stop taking yeah. other dudes' jobs to get your friends' jobs that suck. Yeah, and he wasn't that good of an actor. That's why I would let's like like I said, he wasn't. I don't think he did that good of a job acting, but uh, he fit the role a little bit. You know, I thought it was a yeah, yeah. Well, the last guy I wanted to mention is 
the legendary Bob Marley. Mm, oh, yeah. I kept looking for him, but I didn't see him show up. Yeah, he's actually not the legendary Bob Marley. It's the uh, bit part actor Bob Marley who plays Detective Greenlee, a.k.a. Willem Dafoe's bitch. <laughs> I was going to just say that, yeah, his bitch. Yeah. Uh, he, he he sinks into he sinks into that role pretty good by the by the end of it. Yeah, I, I love that. And so the uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention is uh, Sean Patrick Flannery. If you didn't recognize him, he was Powder in the movie Powder. Do you remember that one? What I did not know that. That's actually cool. I like yeah, that movie. Yeah, he was Powder, and uh, that was it. I guess. I mean, Ron Jeremy was also in Spun and Orgasmo and various porn. <laughs> I. We should definitely do a three-piece series on good pornography. We'll do yeah. De- we'll do Debbie Does Dallas. We'll do Deep Throat. <laughs> we uh, got to do that one that you used to have that old that old French. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still I've been looking for it. I can't find it on the internet. I don't remember the name. And to be it's honest, the Holy Grail of the Rants and Taco podcast. To be honest, that was one of your favorites, not mine. My favorite was uh, Texas Crude. Oh, stop lying. <laughs> love that one. No, you love that one. <laughs> All right. Well, the well, cast the cast is very uh, synonymous with the movie because we're all over the place with the cast. Defoe is excellent. One of the best performances we've seen in any movie that we've done. And then we've got all these scrubs and shitheads in here as well. And that's kind of how I feel about the movie. There's some brilliant scenes and some scenes that I'm just like, oh, man, that's how it yeah. works. Yeah, it's an amalgamation of of brilliance and shit work. Yeah. So let's uh, let's get into it. Let's solve the mystery <clears throat> of the of the Boondock Saints and why does it suck? And here we go. Here we go. So it, it starts off with a nice, pleasant church scene, and uh, we get our introduction to the two saints. Uh, what you Connor and Murphy? Mm-hmm. The the if you listen to what the preacher is saying or the priest. He's telling the tale of Kitty Genovese, who is a, a real person that was stabbed multiple times, and no one helped her, even though there were plenty of uh, witnesses to her murder. No one helped her. No one called the police. No one did anything. And so that becomes the theme of the movie is the system won't protect you. Instead, you need vigilante justice. And I think that's yeah. what the saints take away from this. Yeah. And as they exit the church, there's a line about what's worse is good people doing nothing. So, you know, what's worse than, than bad people doing bad things is good people standing by and letting it happen. So we kind of get that just pushed into the, our frontal lobe uh, of our brain right before we head out into the, to the street to check out these two cool Irish brogues. Yeah. How cool are these guys? Are they, are they still cool or were they only cool in 1999? They are definitely 1999 cool. I'll tell you that. So walking out of church in the middle of the um, sermon, and then lighting simultaneously lighting cigarettes and putting their shades on. I'll just say they had neck tattoos before neck tattoos were cool. So they were, yeah. re- they were revolutionary in that aspect. Yeah. It's I'm not into uh, a lot of the things that were considered cool back then, but I did notice a heavy influence from the time period for this movie. So everything they do is synchronized almost when they shoot people, they mm-hmm. they align their bodies the same. They they pray at the same time. They sit up in bed at the same time. Yeah, I guess this is meant to be kind of cool. Also, I wanted to point out the dual pistols that they wield a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Do you remember how uh, cool this was considered to be back then? Oh yeah, yeah. The, remember the the game Hitman? That was what I was mm-hmm. thinking. I like 
dual pistol. You always had to have the two pistols. One was just not enough. Yeah, it, Max Payne was the one I was thinking of. It's yeah. the same thing. It's the whole yeah. Matrix, Fast and the Furious thing. Like, yeah, action, ridiculous. That just reinforce that just reinforces our idea of like how many how many people use this idea of like you you got to have a pistol in each hand you know yeah <laughs> okay yeah. you're not cool smoking at, at this point was still cool if this movie came out now they'd be uh, simultaneously hitting their vape pens and and checking their Twitter accounts yeah <laughs> but on, in 1999 they're simultaneously lighting cigarettes and putting on their sunglasses so yeah. I mean, it, I guess it's a it's an acquired taste. You know, other things that were popular at this time were pro wrestling, Jerry Springer, uh, yeah, mild racism and and swearing, and, <laughs> and and you're gonna get all that in this movie. Yeah, and uh, and a decent amount of homophobia. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. all of it's here. There. Also, an interesting thing about this movie is it only uh, it only released in theaters for like five movie theaters, and then they pulled it because the Columbine shooting happened. Which was like the ah. yeah, which was like the first big school shooting, uh, which uh, those would become wildly popular after that. But uh, it was the it, there was they were afraid sort of like the political backlash it was going to have at the time because it's such a shoot 'em up like kill everybody type of movie, and uh, so they they pulled it and then they re released it I think later to be not as sensitive around that time or something, which is whatever. Uh, it was. Probably for the best, though. I don't think it changed much. It, shit's still pretty grim in the yeah. school systems. Yeah, in the long run, I don't think it helped. So once uh, once these saints leave the church and, and light up, we get a little montage. And I like that in that opening scene, they tell you the theme of the movie and they introduce the heroes of the movie. Mm-hmm. Though whether they're truly heroes remains to be seen. I, we'll, we'll discuss that a little further. But we get a montage of them. This, this montage... Uh, I didn't really like so the music I enjoyed the music about half the time in this and sometimes yeah. it was really good this didn't fit at all they were playing this inspirational Irish music over yeah. a, a montage of them like telling these crude jokes and abusing was it their boss or co-worker at, at their meat factory where they were working uh, yeah yeah uh, well they slap they're like they're joking around I think the idea is just to give us this uh there are a couple of fun-loving brothers that are Irish that like to wrestle and, and punch each other and fight and, like, you know, have a good time. And the music was – I did like the Irish, you know, part of it because I just enjoy Irish music. But, uh, I, yeah, there were – I agree. Like, a lot of the stuff in the – a lot of the musical stuff in this movie really fit well. And then some other stuff were just, like, modern rockish songs that just didn't fit either, in there really – so there were times when the music was just kind of working, and then there were other times where it was not. So, yeah, this the first scene. It, it seemed like uh, you know, if it was Lord of the Rings and Smeagol's choking Deagle, and they're playing <laughs> yeah. the, the the Shire theme over the background, it just... <laughs> as he slaps so they, as he slaps him with a meat carcass across his face. Yeah, they're slapping each other with meat carcasses. They uh, they get into it with the very butchy. Uh, was it their boss? No, they're training her. Like she's, it's her first day of work and they're training her. And, and immediately they say something is like, that's kind of the rule of thumb around here. And she goes, the rule of thumb. And then she gives a speech on how the rule of thumb is back in the day. You could beat your wife on the courthouse steps with a stick that was no wider than your thumb. And he's like, well, what can we do with that? 
well, maybe it should have been a rule of fit of wrist. Yeah. And which is, which is a mildly funny joke, but she does not take it well. Yeah, no, she just flies right off the handle, right off the bat, and just kicks him in the nuts. And uh, and then yeah, she she kicks one in the nuts, and the other punches her across the face and knocks her out. So right away yeah. we get some some growing uh, growing humor and violence against women. Yeah. Immediately, and this this is kind of what I mean about this was funny and. And probably hilarious yeah and cool and 99 not so much now not funny, yeah not cool. we got to remember this movie took place a whole millennium ago yeah yeah it, <laughs> it, it pretty much did and, yeah. and so i guess they're fired from this job it, the whole scene was kind of pointless really but after work they go to the bar and again we get another thing that is very specific to this time period we have the comic relief bartender who happens to also have tourette's syndrome oh he's great he is great, but why did everyone have Tourette's syndrome from 1999 to 2005? In every movie, there's a Tourette's thing. Yeah, because because cursing is funny, I guess. Like that was, <laughs> yeah, that's the idea. Like in Hollywood, uh, slap some titties in the scene, slap some curse words in the scene, uh, guns. You know, at this time period, that was that was what sold. Yeah, and so it it worked then, especially. And it's not bad. It still kind of holds up a little bit now. But the the Tourette's bartender tells them at this Irish bar that he has to shut down because he's being pressured by the uh, local local Russian mob, I guess. And it's funny. Yeah, it's funny, too, because when when the Italian guy comes in, uh, David or Rocco, Rocco, they they call him. uh, When he comes in, he says, hey, fuck ass, give me a drink. And (laughs) it's just like I was like, what the fuck? And then I realized that every time he goes into a Tourette's uh, uh, fit, he says, fuck ass. So, <laughs> like every single time. So I was like, oh, okay, it makes sense. He calls him fuck ass there. I was like, why do you call him fuck ass? That's such a weird combination. Yeah. And, and then it, and he's like, I, t- I tell you, boys, I'm going to have to f- 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 fuck ass. I'm going to have to shut the bar down. <laughs> yeah, that's the sad part is they're going to have to shut the bar down and and like you said, this is where we get the real introduction to Rocco. He's a very important character to the story they're trying to tell here. We went into it in the cast how much I disliked him, but mm-hmm. he is here and he's got some funny moments. Yeah, um, and it he, just he, it just made sense to me that his name is Rocco and his the actual actor's name is Rocco, so the role is definitely just handed to him. You're right. Yeah, they, they just gave it to him. A, it I guess him. he's a stand-up comedian. Why the Russian mob shows up yeah, he was a comedian before, well, he, before why he did this movie. Why don't you give me jobs in movies? You can hook me up with a like. Why? Why didn't you become a director so you could just hand me jobs? I would, man. I I would hire you for any job I had. Yeah, you say it, but I don't believe it. So the uh, the Russian mob shows up and threatens the bartender, and he tells everyone else to leave. And the scene ends there, and this becomes a recurring theme in the movie. It cuts off pre-violence. And then it, it goes to the police investigation of the post-crime scene. Which is kind of cool. I like the way they did that. I like the way they, they didn't have it just break out sort of naturally. And they and then we get to meet these new characters. Yeah, I like that a lot. Though I do think maybe they did it one too many times in the movie by the end. But it, at the very first time, it was a very cool and original idea. And I did enjoy it too. And so yeah. that's where we get the introduction to... FBI agent Paul Smecker, played by Willem Dafoe, 
the best character in the movie. He immediately walks up to these local police as they're uh, they're trying to solve the crime, and this agent Greenley or uh, Detective Greenley puts together this stupid theory that these these two guys that are dead in the alleyway have been squashed by a very big man. Yeah. And the so Smecker shows up and immediately debunks that. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because the the the, the 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 detective is sitting there describing the scene in vivid detail. He's like, "No, let me tell you what happened." He's this typical New York cop. Yeah, let me tell you what happened. He and yada yada yada. He came over from here. He came over from there, and, and this is what happened. And then Willem Dafoe's character comes up, and we immediately notice it's just he's. A little bit different, you know, the way he moves, the way he walks, the way he talks, the way he's looking at him, the way he smokes his cigarette. And he's like, oh, really? So now we got a soup. We got a super heavy uh, guy theory and uh, and uh, some other theory or whatever. He calls him a serial crusher theory. A serial crusher and a super heavy guy. And, and the way he just kind of storms into it is, is is pretty good. Yeah. So he he solves the crime. I mean, he's a savant when it comes to these crime scenes. He just walks up, looks at a few things, and figures out every little detail. And in his head, which is a really nice touch, they're playing this uh, the symphony music like Mozart or Beethoven, and and he's uh, kind of yeah. tw- twirling his fingers around. It's very always sunny. Well, and he's wearing a, a discman on his uh, side. So if anybody doesn't know what a discman is for these days, it's a CD player. The portable CD player, and so he has it hooked onto his belt, and he plugs in his headphones, and all of a sudden we go into this classical music, and he's like dancing around, playing with his hands, like, and then looking in directions and going, "Oh yeah, that over there. Oh yeah, this over there." And he's solving the crime while listening to classical music, dancing around the scene, and it's a pretty brilliant idea for a character in general. Yeah, it's it's really great, and he's not ashamed of how genius he is he schools greenly embarrasses and humiliates him every chance he gets and he, mm-hmm. he even adds to this order he says hey kid why don't you go get me a coffee and and he solves the crime and he's like actually get me a bagel too onion with with cream cheese yeah yeah <laughs> i guess that's what you do to a rookie police officer is you make him get your coffee yeah he's putting him in his place yeah i, I really like that and he solves the crime we'll get into the details of the crime a little bit later on whenever they're fully revealed, but he's dead on with everything he says. For the most part, he does miss quite a few things in this, in some later scenes, but this scene particularly he's and in most scenes, he pretty much nails it. Yeah. He, he kills it. So we uh, go back to the saints now who are bloody and in bathrobes and they arrive at what is this like a children's hospital or, or a nunnery? Yeah, it's. I think it's a, a, a religious hospital. Yeah, like, like a. Uh, there's because I know whenever the bartender that they they help protect comes in, there's holy water like in a thing next to the door, and he blesses himself. So I think it's like yeah, Irish uh, children's hospital, church, church hospital slash thing. Yeah. Well, there are definitely sick children there and nuns, and this bartender with his Tourette syndrome just swears right in front of them. Which again is kind of funny, but not hugely funny. Yeah. But he's—they're all looking at him. It's pretty great. But he informs yeah. the saints that uh, he has spoken to Agent Smecker, and if they turn themselves in, they're very likely to get off on self-defense for killing these these two guys that they found in the alley. Yeah. So they uh, they they ponder whether or not to do that, and and it goes to the police station where Smecker is 
describing to everyone, you know, he knows who did it and we just have to find him. Of course, Greenlee says we have no chance of ever finding them. We'd have to to drag a potato through the streets and, and hope they come out and show themselves. But the Saints literally drag themselves to the police department and walk right into this meeting of the officers. Yeah, wisely they turn themselves in because they sort of were acting in self-defense. So because have we got to the scene where, where they, they're fighting, they, they get attacked? Did no, we skip that? No, it's coming up next. Oh, okay. But uh, Defoe had said, you know, they'll, we'll find them quickly, and Greenlee said they wouldn't. So when Greenlee is proven wrong, Defoe now enhances his order. <laughs> I think here's where he asked for the bagel as well. Yeah, so, yeah. So I like that. But the Saints uh, take, take Smecker into a, a, back, a back room, and they tell him what happened. So now we find out what happened during this crime. And it's a flashback. So it started with a bar fight when the Russians came into the bar. They had a huge brawl with all the Irish people in, in this bar. Uh, the Russian mobsters get embarrassed, get their asses kicked. One of them even gets his ass literally lit on fire. Yeah. Like very quickly they overtake him. And I'm thinking to myself, did these gangsters not bring guns in here? You're like what, what kind of fucking two-bit Russian gangsters are these? Yeah, that's one of the issues I have with this movie. Is I, I love mob movies and mob stories, and they uh, they don't do yeah. the mafia of any sort, and they don't do any justice to these guys in this yeah. movie. They're bumbling yeah. idiots. Yeah, the mafia is pretty unorganized so, <laughs> in this flick. So they, they lose their bar fight, but they uh, they know who did it or who started it. So they, in the next scene, go to the Saints' apartment, which we find out later is a squatter's apartment. So they actually aren't paying rent. They just are living in an abandoned building and they're, they got these mattresses on the floor. These Russian mobsters come in, tie up the saints, they tie up the big brother and they say, we're going to take your little brother out here and shoot him. So first they, they, they they handcuff him to the toilet. Yeah. They handcuff him to the toilet. And then uh, they take the one down into the alley in the public to shoot him. Why? They're yeah, like, that's I also wrote that. I was like, well, that makes no sense. Yeah, and then uh, not only that, but he's like, I was going to kill you, but now I think I kill your brother. And instead of killing him in front of him, which would have been, you know, really horrible, he's like, going to take him out into the alleyway and kill him for no fucking reason. Yeah, they other than, the, they're right other in the than, street. Yeah, other than, the, other than for the reason of what's going to come up. Yeah, like they, they have to know this building is abandoned. Just kill them up in that room and leave. It's that easy. Yeah. But no, they, they fuck it up. They take him down into the alley. They get uh, one of the brothers on his knees, and they're about to shoot him in the head. And this part is just ridiculous. I'm sorry. I'm, it's dumb. It, it's cool. <laughs> it's cool, but it's yeah. dumb. You know? it's a, it's, yeah, at this point, I was like, all right, this is an action movie with like – this is the type of type of stuff that happens in action movies, but yeah, it's it's tough to believe. Yeah. So the uh, the brother that's chained to the toilet lifts out the toilet entirely, and he's screaming like a lunatic the whole time he does. Oh this. yeah, and the handcuffs are like cutting into his wrist, and you see blood dripping. And it's like okay, superhuman stuff. Yeah, superhuman stuff. So he he goes out to the fire escape. He drops the toilet on the gangster who's about to shoot his brother. And then he jumps off a fifth-story building and lands on the second gangster. Never is that going to happen in a million years. You're dead. Yeah, yeah, it's a little... I mean, here's the first part that's probably not going to happen is you're probably not going to drop that thing accurately enough to land on that guy's head. 
especially with your hands handcuffed and you just kind of tip it over the edge. But okay, lucky shot. I'll give you that. Second, yeah, fifth story jump onto a gangster. And he like, I, all right, the gangster breaks your fall. And granted, he does suffer injuries and he's, all, he's like pretty, like he's unconscious after the fall. But I feel like that would kill maybe both of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like not only the, the porcelain toilet over the guy's head would probably kill him. And then falling off the off the building onto somebody else and also falling and hitting them would kill both those people. So I feel like everyone should now be dead except for the one brother who was on his knees. Well, I think the toilet did kill the first gangster, but the other one lives for a minute. And the, uh, the, the second brother that was on his knees gets up and shoots and kills him. Hmm. And okay. or, does he shoot him or does he just, Oh, he kills him. I don't think he maybe he doesn't. Yeah, uh, he beats him with the uh, with the top of the toilet. Uh, yeah, that's right. He beats him with the toilet, and, and then they recover a pager off of these gangsters, and they they run. Mm-hmm. So that's how they're and, so and, bloody, and, and why they're in their bathrobes, and and, and a bag and a bag and a bag full of guns and weapons and shit. So they uh, they escape from the scene, and that's why the gangsters are dead in the alley. And Smecker, Agent Smecker, figured all this out just by examining the crime scene can't emphasize enough how impressive he is not only in his performance but as a detective like that's pretty oh cool. yeah no that's that made to me was like wow if people can really do shit like that and tell us stuff it's pretty amazing so the saints repeat this whole story to agent smecker and he seems very envious of what they were able to do in this scene he bonds with them a little bit i would say yeah he definitely i mean because they come in they're telling the story and they start speaking in russian they start speaking in French, they speak in Italian, they speak in Irish, and they speak in English. So their mother apparently made them learn all these different languages when they were growing up. And he's like laughing with them going, what are you two guys doing working in a deli? Yeah. Yeah, he, he looks up to the saints. And so he lets them go, though, in a nice little endearing twist, the saints say, oh, actually, can we stay the night? <laughs> and he, uh, he asked the other officers, He's like, well, uh, you'll have to check with your mother first or something like that. You'll have to check with your mother, but I don't care if your friends sleep over. Yeah, so they they actually stay all night at the police department. They they chill with the police the next day, and they they seem to have a good time. Well, and we should also mention, like, by this point, we we get a sense that Willem Dafoe's character is homosexual. He's got a very uh, feminine way about him. That's like they're implying this. So we, we, we haven't really f- figured it out. We haven't seen anything yet, but he's a very different sort of detective. And, and uh, that's sort of an important part of his character. Is it? Yeah, for sure. It plays a part in, in a lot of the stuff coming up. All right. Well, I, don't, I didn't really, I mean, I, obviously I knew he was, he was gay, but I just didn't care. I didn't think it really was that important. I felt like he could have been a straight well, man I, the whole time and it wouldn't have changed his character too much. He could have, but and that's and that's true. But it, they're definitely punching it up, like in the in the story, to show his difference. I think the reason that they do that is for to show how different of a person he is in this detective world. Yeah. All right. I, I can I can buy that. But he's also the very best they've got by far. So by far, yeah, he's he, a genius. He's the alpha of this uh, department. He's of course he's FBI, but he immediately just takes over this precinct, and, mm-hmm. and he's the boss. So uh, for the for the Saints part, they stay in the police cell, and they both have an epiphany that night. They sit up in bed at the same time, 
and they realize that they are sent to do God's work and be the arm of God and the arm of justice. And so they look at each other. They don't really say anything to each other in the scene, but there's water. Like it's, I guess it's meant to imply like some kind of spiritual moment. There's water leaking from the ceiling in this precinct and they wake up, they look at each other. They both kind of like repeat a little prayer to themselves and, uh, and that's when they're released the next day. So I think this is where they decide, you know, we did the right thing by killing these mobsters. Let's continue to kill bad people. Yeah. That's where they get the idea of, Hey, like we could be vigilantes and, and take out the, take out the bad in the world. And it's a little hypocritical, I think, considering they were just beating up a woman uh, earlier in the day, really for not a huge, not a huge uh, crime. Like she kicked one of them in the nuts, but she physically attacked him. And let's be honest, that woman was bigger than both of them. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) These saints are badass, though. They're a couple of hardened dudes. I will say that. Yeah, they're, and, and, and it's not like they're completely innocent of any. Obviously, you know, they're killing people, which is you know, taking uh, taking the law into your own hands, I guess, is what I'm looking for. Yeah, so they're taking the law into their own hands and judging people um, uh, and killing them. So. Yeah, and, and they're weighing sins, you know, based off their own scale rather than, you know, any kind of legal thing. We're meant to like them too. It's not like we we're ever. It's not like we're ever meant to believe that they're in the wrong. No, but you think that's part of the reason this has such a bad grade? Are are these saints really likable? Um. Yeah, I, I feel like they're they're definitely anti-hero sort of characters that are that are definitely likable. I mean, that's that. I, I, I think I, agree. That, I, I think, think they're likable too. Yeah, I think that's essential to the plot. We have to like them or else we just think it's two assholes running around murdering people. Yeah, I, I would agree. But I was just wondering, maybe that's why like people don't relate to the Saints. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, to, the reason for the Rotten Tomato grade, I, I can only come to the conclusion that they didn't like the, the acting performance or the directing or maybe it was too violent or something like that. I don't know. Well, one thing that might lead to that poor grade is in this next scene. It ends up being almost completely pointless, uh, but it, it's a long scene. So we get an intro to some of the mob characters. Uh, we we learn about, oh, God, what's his name? Joe. Uh, how did I not write down this guy's name? He's the main villain. Papa Joe. Yeah. Yacovetti. Yacovetti. Pa- there it is. Papa Joe Yacovetti. So we're, we're introduced to him and the underboss of the family, the Yacovetti family, Ron Jeremy. Uh, I didn't write his character's name, but the, uh, the Vin, best part- Vincenzo, Vincenzo Lapezzi. Vincenzo. Well, the, the best part of this scene is the gabagool sandwich that um, that Papa Joe eats. He, he unwraps yeah. this perfect deli sandwich. It looks so good. Oh yeah, it does look delicious. But Rocco goes in to uh, explain something that happened or whatever, and it's a long, pointless, racist joke. That mm-hmm. is demanded of Rocco, and Rocco uncomfortably tells it. It's gratuitous use of the N word, which I'm not going to repeat the joke because it's not that funny. Yeah, it was just stupid. It was a waste of 15, 20 minutes. It might have been mildly <clears throat> funny the first time you saw it. Nothing else really good about it. Yeah, and I guess the only device of this scene is really to set up the fact that they're setting up uh, Rocco. So they've decided to set up Rocco and send him in to kill some other gangsters or something, right? Yeah, later on, they, they decide to do that as almost as a joke. But 
I thought the point was to show that Rocco is known as the funny man. And so they wanted him to tell a joke as well as introduce these guys. But I don't know. I just didn't. I didn't. Yeah. Like well, certainly that too. We get in it. We, we do get a little bit of Rocco's character, which is not to be taken seriously. He's a jokester. He's, he's definitely not an alpha in that setting at all. Like Ron Jeremy's character is intimidating him. The other guy doesn't even give a shit about him. Hardly. Uh, or Papa Papa Joe doesn't even give a shit. Papa Joe yeah Papa Joe doesn't give a shit about him so it, we're we're just meant to understand that the Rocco is a, a bottom feeder of the Italian mafia and a joke. What did you think about Papa Joe and the act? We didn't even mention his actor because I don't think his actor is anybody important. Yeah, Carlo Rota is his name. I did not like him very much. I mean, he's got he's got a decent Italian look. And I like the fact that he's like uh, got this horseshoe balding thing going on, <laughs> but he does look like a greasy Italian. He fits the look, but yeah, there's nothing stood out about him. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't particularly enjoy him either. But after that pointless scene, uh, the Saints are now fully committed to uh, their vigilante lifestyle. So they buy a, a ton of guns and some rope. They make a, a, a huge deal. I guess it's uh, again supposed to be some humor, but. One of the saints wants to buy some rope because he sees it in action movies. You always need rope. And the other one says, no, you don't need rope. Kind of cool, I guess. Kind of dumb. Just kind of a waste yeah. of time. Yeah, a waste of time. Yeah. So uh, they do the uh, the typical 1999 slow walk with the uh, music playing as they walk oh, to yeah. their next job. Now that's cool. Is it cool? I, do. Is I, it appreciate, cool? I appreciate the slow motion walk with the music playing. Like I, I still, I actually do that at work every once in a while where I'll be like, all right, cue the music, and now and I'll be walking next to him. Be like, "Hey, slow mo, walk with me," and then I'll start slow mo walking with him, and we like pretend that we're walking in slow mo, looking back and like firing guns and shit at people. <laughs> All right, so so that uh, the slow walk with the with the music aged well with you. It aged well with me for sure. Well, I really enjoyed the music here. This was a good selection, so it was one of the uh, hits for them. Cool. But we know they're walking to their next job, and then we cut away from the job, and we go to the aftermath of the job. But this is a, a great scene when Smecker gets the call. He's laying in bed with his lover. And so here's where you truly find out that he's he's gay. He's laying with this guy in bed and they're kind of cuddling, sleeping. He gets a call and he finds out that there are nine bodies at this crime scene and he's got to get there. Uh, I think both of our favorite lines is probably <laughs> in, in this scene. So we won't we won't spoil it yet. At least I know yeah, it's yeah. mine. Yeah, and it is it's it it's a pretty funny moment, uh, but yeah, it works in nineteen ninety nine too. So it works it's, in ninety nine for sure. And Defoe just nails it; he's so funny. Yeah, but needless to say, the the extra lover is fighting for his attention, she, and he's kind of like rubbing up on him or whatever. And Defoe slaps him, is like, "Get get out of me, get out of me!" And he's obviously all about business, and he finds out there's a new murder to, to check out. Yeah, yeah, and he's ready for it. Yeah. And he uh, he gets there and, and solves it quite quickly. So when Agent Smecker gets to the crime scene, he uh, he's, he immediately counts nine bodies. Of course, dumbass Greenlee only counted eight bodies. And so Smecker schools him once again and sends him for more coffee. I mean, I, I'm not stating how great these scenes are. When Smecker is schooling the other police officers, there's so much to take it. You just have to watch these scenes for yourself. They're so good. It's the best part of the movie. I think. Oh yeah, it, it's it's really a masterclass in watching a, a detective work. Sort of. It's just like and an actor too. The way that he does it, this pulls it off. It's, it's just a an absolute 
joy to watch these scenes. These th that's why I'm just like, how could so, how could people dislike this movie with just these scenes alone? Just these scenes with Willem Dafoe doing the things that he's doing there make this whole movie worth watching. Yeah, and not to I mention, not to mention, it is an entertaining movie. Oh, if our scale is ten at a rewatchable, it's got to be over ten. Just just for Dafoe alone, he's that good in this movie. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't know if I agree that it's a masterclass in detective work because I cannot imagine this is how a true <laughs> detective well, yeah, justice yeah. work. I guess yeah. This is like watching. This would be like watching a genius work or something. Yeah, he solves the crime. He figures out how the saints or how somebody managed to kill these nine men, which we find out are all gangsters and mafia underbosses. So they're having like a huge crime syndicate meeting between all these different mob families. And mm -hmm. again, uh, we're to believe that they were killed by these fucking idiotic <laughs> vigilantes. Uh, well, especially <laughs> when we find out how they do it. We'll get to that in a second. But I wanted to mention that uh, Defoe, after he solves the crime, he does a little river dance. And oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I can love it, man. Give me the river dance. Give me Defoe yeah. doing the river, river dance on a loop. I would watch yeah. that all day. Uh, yeah, he's, he, he cracks me up in that thing, the way he's moving around describing, describing everything. And just his, just his panache, just the way that he is. Like, it, it's, it's so it's good. good. And the way when he reenacts these scenes in his head, he oh, even yeah. he, he physically reenacts what he thinks the saints were doing, or well, in this case, I guess the criminals were doing. He doesn't know it's the saints yet, but he figures mm -hmm. out, and we figure out as the audience that they were up in the vents, like uh, diehard style. They started arguing, they wrestled around, and I guess it's supposed to be like a brotherly love type of endearing. But they wrestle around, they fall through the vents, but in a, a little twist, the rope that you know one of the saints didn't want to have catches them. They're hanging upside down from the ceiling, spinning in a circle. They pull their guns yeah. out and shoot and kill all nine <laughs> gangsters. Yeah, so they're hanging upside down, tied up, tangled up in the rope, spinning around, shooting everybody. And it just works out perfect because if you'd have landed on your feet, it wouldn't have worked out this perfect because then you'd have had to turn and, and do all this stuff. But the rope was just spinning them in a circle and they're firing, spraying in a uh, 360 degree room. And they landed right in the center of the gangsters. And it's all just pretty perfect and pretty fucking unbelievable. <laughs> it's, it's dumb. I, I don't like it. And I'm not going to be surprised if you like this or a lot of other people enjoy this. I don't like the action scenes in this movie. It's too Tarantino-esque for me. It's just it's uh, over the top and just ridiculous. It's not realistic, but it is entertaining, I think. So, to, yeah, I, I didn't mind it because it's different. You know, it's not uh, they didn't run in and jump behind the couch and there were feathers flying everywhere from shooting through the couch. There wasn't a gunfight where they magically overcame nine people. They just happened to, well, well there is later. <laughs> there is, there is a gunfight. There is the gunfight. They do magically overcome these nine people in this scene, but uh, it's, it, it's entertaining. I thought it was, it was cool, but it, it's definitely not very likely to happen. Well, I think one of the reasons I don't like it. And I mentioned Tarantino. And the reason I don't like Tarantino movies is I can never figure out what the genre is. And I, I'm not sure what the genre of this movie is. Is it, it's not a drama, but they have some dramatic moments. It's not a well, comedy, but there's what, some funny moments. Like, what are you con What are you concerned with the genre for? Why, well, why do you give a shit? I only give. You a just shit want you just you just want to classify. You want to put it in a box or what? 
I want it's a puzzle and I want to solve the puzzle and I don't I don't get it. I don't like not getting it. I'm just like, what are they trying to do? Are they trying to make me laugh, cry, be angry, be pumped up? Like, what what are they going for here? Yes, any of that, any of that is good. I guess I don't know. But uh, there is a certain amount of suspension of disbelief that you have to employ whenever you see two guys falling through the roof, getting caught in the rope, which they didn't tie to anything. So how are they caught up there? And then, yeah, they're just spinning around, shooting each other. They're also upside down, disoriented, and they just come down shooting. So it just it, it makes me think of like the Fast and the Furious or something, it's, where it's just like they're they're driving yeah. cars over top of other cars and ramping off of mountainsides. It's just yeah, out of helicopters driving. Yeah, yeah, it's it's Hollywood, but you know, it's like I said, you got to suspend your disbelief when you when you're thinking about it because. Obviously, they did when they were thinking about them. They did. So they, uh, we cut to the Saints part of this now. And they, after they've killed everybody, they find a big uh, briefcase full of money. They hear a knock at the door. So they put their masks back on. And it's Rocco disguised as uh, room service for these yeah. gangsters. So we, I got a real Merry and Pippin vibe out of the Saints here as they decide to prank Rocco. After they've just murdered these nine guys, they they answer the door with their masks on. They pull him in. They threaten to kill him. Rocco's begging for his life, and they're just laughing and kicking each other and doing their little Irish thing. I also wrote down that it's really bad acting for the one saint for the uh, Flannery guy. Yeah, I, uh, uh, I yeah, I didn't. It was whatever. It was it was. It's kind of funny, but it, it's just like. Yeah, it was. I don't know what the purpose was, other than the fact that they now have to get this uh, Italian dude involved with their thing. Yeah, and so. I want to. I want to mark this as the point where I fully and completely enjoyed the movie up to this point, and right here is where the movie takes a pretty steep downward trajectory for me, and it has a lot to do with Rocco and the role he plays going forward. Yeah, I don't think he. he I don't. I don't think he adds a lot from here on out but uh he detracts from the saints chemistry the, the saints had a pretty good chemistry and then he ruins it i think well he's a he's kind of a decent foil character i think like he's a foil to them because he's not exactly a good guy he just he believes in what they're doing and he gets on board with it and then he's very different from them so he's he's so he's like a goofball uh wild guy and they're very like reserved and sort of not reserved, but they, they they joke around, have a good time. But I, I don't know. Like I didn't think he detra- distracted or uh, subtracted from it, but I don't think he added to it either. Well, they had conviction and what they were trying to do and and what they were trying to accomplish as vigilantes. I yeah. felt that Rocco was really just a psycho. He he wanted yeah. to kill everybody. He killed some innocent people. Yeah. Rocco had a revenge kick going on. He just wanted to get revenge on all the people that had made fun of him his whole life. So, And furthermore, uh, the Saints are against these gangsters, and they're against pimps, drug dealers. Rocco is all of these things. He's yeah. a numbers runner for the gang. Why is he their friend? Because, well, I mean, he's their friend prior to this, so you you got to – they can't uh, – you know, it's the Irish thing, you know. You got to stick by your friends. I guess, yeah. All right, I mean – if you're going to defend Rocco, then we're going to argue about Rocco for the rest of the way because I well, bitch, I bitch about him a lot. I'm going to bitch. I'm about just him. good because there's. I'm just saying it's like he he was friends. They were friends before we get the scene where he comes into the bar with them and is drinking with them in the Irish bar because he doesn't fit in with the Italian mafia. 
So that's his thing is he doesn't fit in with them. He's about to be, they sent him in there to get killed uh, essentially. Cause they only sent him in with a six shooter. There was eight or nine people or whatever, you know? So he got set up and they were like, well, they know you, they know you would have gone in there, which they talk about later in the later scenes. So they sort of are on, on, it's almost a try. They're trying to sell, to set Rocco on a path of salvation himself. And he believes in what they're doing. And they know that he's a good guy. He's not like a horrible gangster. He, he is a horrible guy. He's, he's not a horrible we'll, guy. Oh, he's horrible. We'll find out here real quick how horrible he is. He's awful. He's the worst. He, he's well, a, I mean, he's a bad human being. But I will, I want to okay. just, just clear this up. So the Saints are uh, vigilantes doing work from God, unless it comes to someone that they were already friends with and then they're cool with it, right? Well, I, I'd, I'm interested to see what you think he was doing that was so bad. All right. So we'll get on to it. But uh, okay. after that, they leave the hotel, they've, they've, cleared another crime uh, they've gotten away with it they go back to their apartment and get completely shit-faced uh, Rocco becomes an honorary saint so now instead of the uh, the two of them there's the three of them and that's pretty much for the rest of the movie they're uh, they're holed up at Rocco's girlfriend's apartment and here is the first of Rocco's bad mistakes though this is just an accident so I'm not going to hold this against him too much but he gets drunk and, <laughs> he gets drunk and excited and bangs on the table and a gun that's sitting there discharges and he kills his girlfriend's cat. Yeah. They just blow it all over the wall. Why? What's the point of this? Yeah, I don't know. Like there's no point to it. It's just kind of like holy shit. <laughs> it, it's it's a, it's kind of a interesting day. I don't know. It's like it's it's not funny, I would say, but it's like it's just shocking, I guess. It serves no purpose other than it's a bonding experience between these three people. Well, just as, as part of our experiment here. So, all right. Already, uh, black people probably don't like this movie because of the racist jokes. Irish people may like this movie. Italian people do not. Gay people probably don't like this movie. Women probably have a reason not to like this movie. And now PETA has a reason <laughs> to not like this movie. So... White Irish males. That's yeah, a good target audience. Maybe 28% of people that watch this movie were white Irish males, and everyone else has a problem with this. That's not true. I don't think, I think, uh, I don't think this is a movie that gay people wouldn't like at this time. Uh, you don't think the use of some of the words they, I don't know, maybe not. I mean, nah, no, not, not in 1999. Like, I mean, uh, the prominent character is a very, dominant uh alpha gay guy so i think it's uh i think it's a positive repre- representation in the in the gay community yeah this grade is a mystery to me I'm, I'm trying to figure it out so yeah what did people not like what did they not like yeah what did they not like that's a good question yeah. maybe we'll figure it out as we go but the uh... i mean and we are picking it we're, pick, we're picking it apart for some different reasons that yeah things don't make sense at certain times but I think we both agree that we do like the movie. Yeah, I, I did. I like the movie. But yeah. the uh, the cat killing yeah. was gratuitous and unnecessary, for sure. Yeah. So the uh, the Saints, now, this is where they convince uh, Rocco that he was set up by his Italian overlords. And, you know, as you mentioned before, with the six-shooter with nine potential victims. So Rocco gets super pissed. He decides he wants to get revenge on them. Uh and then we don't see what he does, but he leaves to go to go get revenge. So this is a little bit different in terms of how they set up this crime scene. Mm-hmm. The saints sit at home and they do show a, a lot of worry for Rocco. They, they cuss him out for leaving, 
and they say you're you're an idiot for going to do this, but Rocco insists on going to take care of this, uh, get some revenge yeah. for himself. They they well, do have a weird no, bond he, with Rocco. He's he is, refuses to see that they're what they're telling him. So they're telling him that he's getting set up and that they he got set up and he's refusing. He's like, no, that's not how things have done. I've worked with them for this many years or whatever. And they bring it to his attention. Listen, they sent you in there with six bullets against nine people. He knew you were going to go in and yeah, and do this or whatever and do that. And they're trying to convince him. And, and like one of the brothers slaps him upside the head. He's like, you're a fucking idiot. And he uses the word retard and like whatever. But uh, he, <laughs> yeah, it's just offensive. You're right. It's offensive to everybody. Yeah, it's offensive to everybody. And, uh, and, and so, they, so he refuses to believe it, and then, and then, as he's leaving, the other brother says, "Well, if you if you sense anything funny going on, you get the hell out of there." Yeah. And then, and then he gets in there, and and this ensues. Well, well, they don't show the murder yet. First, uh, they oh yeah, that's they, true. the Saints are showing, or the Saints are just sitting in this, this apartment waiting for him to come back, and all at the same time, Rocco comes back as well as Rocco's girlfriend and her friend, who this is kind of another pointless scene, and it's another reason I didn't like Rocco. He tells the girlfriend he killed her cat, and that's his way of breaking up with her. He threatens to kill himself if she ever gave a shit about the cat and if she can even name its name. And then he calls her friend a fat bitch. Why? Well, he's yelling like a maniac this whole time. Well, here's, here's what we're supposed to take in as the audience. They, these are like crack whores or like call girls or druggy girls or whatever that he hangs out with. Like he's not leading a good life. And these girls are not supposed to be set up as good looking people, you know. But yeah, the way he acts is pretty shitty. But at the same time, we're supposed to see this character purging the bad people from his life. And, and he's doing it. He's doing it in a real psychotic manner. But. Yeah, that's what we're seeing. Yeah, he looks like a complete insane person. He points the gun at the friend and everything. Points the gun at himself. He's sweating. His eyes are black. Like he, he just looks insane. But yeah, when we find out what he did in the diner, it makes a little more sense. And so that's when we get the flashback to what he did. So he, uh, he goes to the diner to meet a couple of his uh, mafia friends or what he thought were friends. He finds out that they knew. I guess that he was being set up and he's like, well, well, we're just glad to have you back. Funny man. And, and this last, uh, funny man really sets him off. So he stylishly shoots one of his, uh, mob members through his jacket. Uh, it's a stylistic killing kind of cool, I guess, if you're into Mm -hmm. it. And then he kills the other one, which that's fine. I guess both these guys are sinners and they deserve it. But you tell me what the fuck does the bartender do to deserve this? Yeah, the bartender probably didn't deserve it. I the think bartender it, it, did it was, nothing. It was a heat of pad. Well, we don't know what the bartender did. The bartender obviously is housing criminals in there. Oh, so, come uh, on. The bartender could have been making fun of him for years about being the funny man. And it, he says that. He's like, funny, very funny, ha, 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 as he shoots him. So I assume the bar, bartender probably made fun of him, too. All right. Well, you can make assumptions if you want to defend Rocco. <laughs> but, but the truth <laughs> is, is he just killed an innocent man. Okay. So he killed one mildly innocent bartender. <laughs> who who hasn't? You know what I mean? Yeah, well, he does. And I even wrote down, what is Rocco's deal here? He's just killed a cat, yelled at his girlfriend and her friend like an idiot, and then he's murdered well, an innocent man. He's no fucking saint, all right? He's he, an asshole. 
he's emotionally distressed right now. Okay, you know, losing a cat can do that to you. Yeah. Well, this. I mean, at this point, Rocco has now ruined everything. He's made he made the Saints unlikable, and he's made the movie somewhat unlikable. At this point, we're so far for you, for you, for me. Yes, for me. And but he, he serves a purpose, and that is to point out more shitty people for the Saints to murder. And this time he wants to get the underboss. What'd you say it was Vincenzo? Ron Jeremy's character? Uh, Vincenzo Lapezzi. Yeah. So that's the next big murder scene for the Saints. It's at a peep show spot, like a, uh, not quite a strip club, but I guess like a, a porno viewing bar or a stripper bar. What? I don't, yeah, I don't know what to call this. It's a, it's like a room room where you go in and there's a glass between you and the stripper and they dance in front of you and you jerk off. All right, so that's where Ron Jeremy's going. It's it's a nice little touch by the director to turn this porn yeah, star into a sex fiend. It's more of like a red light district a- Amsterdam thing than it is a Boston thing. I feel like, but maybe there's places in Boston to go do this. I don't know. Yeah, well, they uh, the the three saints now go in this place. Uh, they. Um, Rocco knows which booth Ron Jeremy will be in or which room so they get outside his door there and, and they're going to kill him uh, they they get the stripper to confirm that he's in there and then she passes out so the three of them are in there and they tell Rocco he can earn his stripes and they they uh, the saints the original saints shoot Vincenzo but then they give Rocco free reign to kill the guys in the rooms beside him too he said they were bad dudes, but did we really know they were yeah. bad dudes? Well, they were part of uh, Vincenzo's crew, right? I guess. I mean, you know. So, yeah. yeah so, was he, so was Rocco at one they're point. They're bad dudes. They're fucking gangsters that uh, are praying. Maybe these were the guys, uh, you know, that were making fun of him, too. All right. Well, maybe it wasn't so bad to kill them, but they leave that to Rocco. He says, uh, he, he points his guns across his chest, like shoots them. He crosses them and shoots them. I guess he's trying to look stylish again. Well, at first he's holding them out to the sides and shooting to each side, but he's double fisting the guns again, like we said, and then he crosses his arms and is shooting. And it's just, yeah, it's it's like uh, typical action director 90s stuff. Yeah, he says, I'm Wyatt fucking Earp when, he, when he's shooting. And yeah. then uh, later when Smecker solves the crime, he's, he figures it out. He's like, looks like we got a cowboy on our hands. So it's uh, well, nice And also, there. I think something that's important to note about Rocco's character is he's not a killer in the mafia. He's a numbers runner and an errand boy. So once he starts getting this taste for blood and getting this revenge, he really gets into it. He starts liking it and and taking it a little too far almost. Oh, taking it too far. Well, that's a good segue into Rocco's rape. Because Rocco... What? Yeah. Did you miss this part when... Uh, oh, where he touches her boob? He said he was going to tip her. Oh, All Jesus right. Christ. Come on. How much more can you defend this fucking guy? <laughs> he just murdered three people. All right. And so the stripper that's passed out, just doing her job, poor fucking stripper, passed out. Her tits are hanging out. Rocco gets a look at her unconscious titties. And he becomes a crazed sex maniac and reaches down and, he, and squeezes he, her yeah. bare breast. Yeah, he he's looking down and he sees her bare breasted laying there and he's like, you can see he's just like, oh man, oh, oh tasty. Yeah, and then he reaches over and cups her breast and the two brothers look up and they're like, hey. And he's like, I was going to tip her. All right, oh. I'll tip her. <laughs> so the line, I would have tipped her, actually was funny. 
But again, you yeah. can't defend the character of this guy. Like, he's sexually assaulting this woman right now. Well, he's on a psycho rampage. And, he, and I mean, sex, <laughs> that's sexually assaulting her. Okay, yes, she's passed out. But she's a stripper that there was to so, have boobs touched too. Strippers have rights too, man. All right, that's a good point. All right, I, I can't defend him on that one. Like, he was out of the out of the – he was out of bounds, but I don't think we should put rapist. We shouldn't label him rapist right away. He was okay. one step away. If the Saints hadn't intervened, he'd have raped the shit out of her. I'll, I'll make an assumption. <laughs> He's a psycho. That's a that's a broad jump from just like reaching down and cupping her breast. Oh, you said the bartender was making fun of him all this time. So that's just as broad. We have no okay. So we got two. Okay, guy. so fine. We got two broad assumptions. What we're even. <laughs> yeah. So Rocco sucks, but the uh, the Saints escape yet again i still can't figure out why the saints like this guy but they all three escape from this time <laughs> yeah all right so a couple other things about this uh strip club scene the, the saints have been reciting this prayer this uh little thing that they say it's no uh, yeah that, that's the, important too that comes very, back later. yeah it's very important they say this uh, i'm the shepherd here to deliver pain i don't i don't remember what the fuck it is but yeah it's a it's a irish prayer yeah, they say this Irish prayer before they do the last kill of every scene. And Rocco comments, he says, hey, that's really cool. You guys got to teach me that. And the Saints are like, no, it's family owned. You know, our father's father taught it to him and, and only people in our family can say it. So that becomes yeah. important later on. Uh, for Smecker's part, he shows up at the crime scene. He solves this one again quickly. Not only does he solve it, he figures out there's three shooters, two good ones and one shitty one. He even crosses his arms just exactly like Rocco did. I mean, he figures out yeah. down to the last detail. I mean, at this point, I'm wondering if the guy is like a psychic because the way he intuits the stuff going on is just – it's verbatim. He just – it's like he sees the, the thing happening in his head. Yeah, he's, he's brilliant. But he did not know about the shooting in the diner that Rocco committed earlier in the yeah. day. And when he finds also, out about it, he is pissed. Also, how how fucking brilliant is hit is him laying on the uh, stripper couch playing with the boa. <laughs> I, I, I love that, and I'm like, I know that was just an actor's choice. Like he just was like, oh, there's a boa over here. Let me just sit there and play around with that. Like I was like, such such. It's little things like that that set a great yeah. a great actor apart from a good actor. Yeah, I would have to say if anyone takes anything away from this movie and you don't want to watch it, at least watch the scenes of Defoe. I mean, every scene. He's, the subtleties of his character, we can't describe all of them, but it's just everything. It's so good. Yeah, he's great. And so he's, he's pissed off that he didn't know about the diner. He goes to the diner. He figures out, you know, they are related, these, all these crimes and the diner crime, and now mm-hmm. he, he's just incredibly pissed off, and he's starting to lose it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, because he can't put it. He can't put it all together because they're not. It's not making sense logically why why the stuff's going on, especially in the diner scene because he doesn't know why they killed the bartender. Yeah, so, and I don't know either. Well, they obviously don't have knowledge that me and Rocco were privy to about yeah. uh, the bartender <laughs> making disparaging comments to Rocco. Yeah, that bully of a poor old man bartender for being a funny guy. Yeah, you know, I sympathize with him because I'm a funny guy too. You know, I just make jokes. All right, you're a psycho, maybe like Rocco. I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, just don't push me towards the edge. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I will not. I'll keep at least twenty twenty <laughs> states between us at all times. Yeah, and send more pepperoni rolls. Okay, <laughs> you you got it. 
Speaking of a great Italian cuisine, uh, there's no food in this scene. <laughs> I like this. I like the segue, but this one didn't work. But not speaking of great Italian cuisine. Speaking of Italians, we go to Yakavetta again. Big Joe, or what's his name, Little Joe? Uh, Papa Joe. Papa Joe. Yeah, yeah. We go to Papa Joe again, and now Which he's starting. That's not even a good name. That's not even a good name for a no, gangster. It's a horrible name, and he's not old enough to be anyone's Papa, really. I mean, he could be a, a dad, but he's not Papa. Yeah. But he, he wants protection now because all his underlings are being killed. So he calls in a new character that we haven't seen yet named El Duce or Duce. Yeah, it means the, the Duke. The Duke. El Duce. Duque. Yeah. Duce. So the first time they show him, he's in a cage like Hannibal Lecter style. style. Yeah, this he was really fucking weird because they have him all locked up like Hannibal Lecter. Like I made that exact same uh, connection. He's in a cage. He's caged in the center of a room. Like uh, he's obviously very dangerous. And then the mafia just makes a call, and all of a sudden he's on parole. <laughs> yeah, and he looked pretty scary in the cage, and I thought maybe it was a good casting choice. But every other time I see El Duce, I I don't know. I didn't like it. I didn't like him. And anyone who's mm-hmm. seen the second Boondock Saints, I think he features heavily in it. And I, it's it really truly is a bad movie. That movie's horrible. Yeah, I haven't seen the second one, so I should I should watch it. But uh, I can imagine a, a sequel of this being really bad. Yeah, and I think he's supposed to be a poignant and cool character, but I did not really like this guy. Well, here's the information we get during this part: is that El Duce is uh, in jail. He's extremely dangerous, and he had a knack for for uh, assassinating gangsters. Yeah, he wouldn't kill women and children, only gangsters. He, so we know he has a moral compass because he wouldn't kill women and children, but he was very good at eliminating their rival gangsters that they would send him in to kill. Though a small plot hole. He does. But he's a loose cannon. He's a loose cannon, so you don't know what could happen whenever you let him loose is the idea. Yeah, he does bludgeon what he thinks is a woman in the head later with uh, the butt of his gun, which probably would have killed her, but... That's later in the movie, and we'll, if well, you don't remember, we'll get to it. He doesn't kill women. It didn't say anything about bludgeoning women. Or, okay, he, bl- he only bludgeons me. He doesn't kill them, or at least bludgeoning what he thought was a woman. So uh, this, we we go now to the next crime scene that the Saints commit because Rocco tells them that whenever he was a mob driver, he was forced to drive this hitman to a, a residential home where this hitman went in and mercilessly killed an entire family, including the wife and children. So Rocco wants to get revenge on this guy by having the Saints kill him and, and everyone that he's involved with. And this is the last crime scene, I think, we get in the movie. At this point, the uh, the crime scene, the flashback, started to get a little tiresome. But Defoe does his best performance yeah. in this last one. And, well, it's like it's it's on the verge of overusage. But if Defoe didn't have this scene, it would not have been it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. But it's, he does such a good job in this scene. His reenactment of the whole thing is just, and how crazy and intense he gets it during it is fucking brilliant. Yeah, agreed completely. So uh, the, the Saints go there to this guy's house, this hitman's house. They do a couple clever things to get inside, mildly clever. Uh, this is where they face off. They're just standing there in a doorway, and they shoot this entire room full of armed mobsters. So, again, they're not doing the mob any favors here. I mean, they're pathetic. They they can't do anything to help themselves. 
the mob is just horrible. Like if I'd known it was this easy, easy to take over the mob, I would have done it a long time ago. Yeah, these these guys just walk in the room, kill literally everyone there, except for the one man they were trying to kill, who's on the shitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they they figure out that he's in the bathroom. He gets out. He Who is, he's supposed to look like this mysterious badass gangster, but he looks like an old fucking literature teacher. Like, yeah, he looks like John Malkovich. <laughs> yeah. yeah he, he's not that cool looking. But he, he comes out and he fights with Rocco hand to hand. The Saints decide to let Rocco finish this fight himself. They don't want to help him. And they specifically say, don't help him. Let him earn his stripes. But then they... Again, he already earned his stripes, but let him re-earn the stripes. Uh, yeah, they, well, this time he actually has to earn it by winning this fight. But then well, they but immediately this was, help him. This was also his personal vendetta, too, so there's kind of that. Yeah, he hated this guy for making him. He kept saying it's the worst day of his life that he had to drive this guy to this hit site. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they roll him a cue ball as he's you know on the bottom and losing this fight. They roll him a pull cue, and he gets the upper hand, and he bludgeons this guy to death. And, again, not that cool. Overly violent, but not that stylistic i i didn't love any of this really yeah this scene's not doesn't stand out particularly to me not not nearly as much as the next scene where defoe describes the whole thing yeah so once once they leave the house el duque or god i'm gonna say it wrong every time el duce yeah just say the duke it's the duke it's the duke in italian okay well the duke shows up and uh he is dressed like uh what's he dressed like he's got john lennon glasses on a sailor's hat he's smoking a cigar he looks like he looks like a fucking geriatric member of the matrix (laughs) yeah (laughs) he's got like multiple guns strapped everywhere all black like leather straps and shit all over but a big graying beard like yeah he definitely looks like he probably played bass in you know uh uh, Grateful Dead cover band. Yeah, when I think of a legendary hitman, I think of someone like the Shadow from Scarface that sneaks up behind people and silently kills and is almost never seen. This the Duke just shows up in a car, pulls out a couple guns, and starts firing at dudes like forty feet away and doesn't kill any yeah. of them. So his legacy doesn't really uh, hold up in terms of what they're trying to sell me in this movie. I didn't like yeah. the Duke. Yeah. Yeah, the Duke was like whatever to me. Yeah, he was a whatever. But Defoe, whenever he comes and solves the crime, he figures out all the shit on the inside, and it's cool. But then when he goes outside, he's so worked up into a frenzy. He says his shirt starts coming loose, his tie is loose, his hair is wild, he's sweating. He says he walks outside, he's like, and they walked outside, and for a few seconds, it was Armageddon out here. And then one of my favorite lines, I'm just going to say it now. Oh, yeah. He says, and there was a fire fight. That, yeah, that was the one I was. That was the one I was telling you about. So you were right. It's the same line. So he just walks outside and his ties undone. He goes to stretch out. He goes, "It was Armageddon for a minute. There was a fire fight." <laughs> I love that, dude. He does it so dramatically and reaching up towards the sky and stuff. It's like he's. It's like he's dancing an interpretive piece yeah imagine being a rookie police officer on this crime scene and seeing this hardened detective sweating he pulls at one point he's like reenacting the shooting and he even pulls out his service gun aims it and up fires in the it in the, yeah. <laughs> a, i was like i was like did he just do that did he just fire shots into the air like what are the other detectives doing and, lo- and thinking when this happens 
it's just legendary. I love this so much. He's shooting off his gun. He's sweating. He's screaming. He's but completely this, insane. This scene is actually a little more more cool than the other ones because he is in the scene while he's describing it. So, yeah. so instead of him describing it and we're seeing flashbacks, he's now walking through the scene and emulating all the stuff that's going on with the brothers, how they're shooting, how they're, he's getting down on his knees. He got on his knees and, and shot below the pool table. And like, he's, he's firing with them. So we can see him really starting to lose it into the mind of these two characters as well. Yeah, I think uh, Defoe's character really hits its peak right here. This is this is just the best. Yeah, uh, we're we're supposed to care, I guess, what happens to the Saints because they lose this firefight. I mean, they lose in the sense that they have to retreat, and they all take some some wounds here. Rocco, I think, is the one that even loses a finger. Uh, yeah, gets, gets his well, that's shot crucial. Off. That's that's how uh, that's how Defoe catches up to him because he gets his finger shot off. And uh, and then while Defoe is wrestling around with his soul in the bushes, he drops down and is like, I, I don't know what the fuck is going on with these. And he drops down, and he finds a finger and he instead of turning it into evidence, he grabs his gloves out and pulls it and pockets the finger into his pocket. Yeah. So, well, so uh, we get a sense that we get a sense that he's losing it, too, in this scene, like as a psych, like psychotically, he's having a breakdown almost. Yeah, I was going to mention that I, not only him you know, shooting the gun in the air. But once he figures out that the saints sprayed ammonia over the blood spot, so all the blood samples are ruined on the crime scene yeah. site. Once he figures that out, he, he just loses it. He's like, who are these people? What, how are we going to catch them? Who the fuck are you? Who are you? And he's just so good in this scene. He's like punching these bushes and screaming. It's, I mean, it's just great. Oh yeah. His intensity level is at a 11 of 10, but yeah, that's where he finds the finger. And so he's starting to figure out who did it and where they're at. And for the Saints part, they go back to the apartment and they, uh, they have a scene of them stitching themselves up. They, they obviously can't go to a hospital, so they're doing all these MacGyver things to, to heal their wounds. Uh, didn't really care too much about the Saints here. I didn't feel like they were in any kind of danger or they were under you know, threat of dying. Uh, did, did you get that vibe? Were we supposed to really be worried about the Saints here? I don't think so. Like they go back and they cauterize themselves with iron. So it's not. Yeah. I think the person that gets fucked up the most is Rocco for losing the finger. Yeah. Well, I, I got the vibe that this was supposed to be the low point for the saints. And that's what the director well, was. Yeah. It was their toughest battle, I guess. Yeah. They, this is the battle they lose, but they didn't really lose anything. They survived. Yeah, they still the killed everybody. They still killed. They still did exactly what they came to do. They just got wounded a couple of times. Everybody yeah. got a wound. Yeah, they all got they all got a little a little gunshot wound, but no big deal. So uh, well, and it shows them cauterizing the wounds in slow motion and biting onto and holding onto their brothers and oh god oh no, and yeah. it hurts, you know. And and it was just kind of like we didn't need it. Yep. And and speaking of scenes that we didn't need, this one is almost completely pointless. But I like this one because it was a Defoe scene. Uh, he's <laughs> he's at the bar and the bartender there tries to slow him down. So you're a bartender. Is this protocol? Do you tell a guy when he's had too much to drink? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You can't overserve people. What about Smecker? I mean, he wasn't like stumbling around. He was just sitting there. Well, it's a, it's always the bartender's call, but you can, you're legally responsible for a customer. If that customer 
gets too drunk and walks out in the street and gets hit by a car, you can be charged with manslaughter. All right. Well, I guess the bartender tried to, to do the right thing and cut off Agent Smecker, but he gets called a fairy fuck. He says, just, <laughs> just pour the drink, you fairy fuck. And then you, yeah. can't, you can't tell me this is bartender protocol. He, he tells Smecker, I can smell you. So yeah. I guess you can smell them from across the room. But I don't. Know. Well, I mean, it's just bad. As a bartender, I would just have been like, "No, sorry, you're not getting another drink." Well, like the, you're this cut guy off. backs. He backs down and he gives. He backs him a drink. down. Yeah, he gives him another drink. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't have worked for the character if they had cut him off. So, yeah. But as a bartender, you when once you cut a guy off and they ask for more, don't give them anymore. Was there a point to this scene? Well, I mean, it leads into the next scene. Yeah, it leads in. I mean, I guess he had to be completely drunk, so they need. Yeah, to we have we have yeah we have to know how he got to the drunkenness of stumbling into the uh, Catholic church that he's coming up to. All right, so yeah, that's that's where we're at now. He uh, he stumbled. But that's into, all. Yeah, there's no real big big device other than that. I don't think he uh, he stumbles into a confessional booth at the Catholic church, and at the same time, Rocco get, goes into the church and he holds a gun to <clears> the priest's head. So again, Rocco, your boy, such a great fucking guy, brandishing a gun at church on a priest, uh, not called for in any way in this thing. And even one of the saints has to pull a gun on Rocco and, and get him to cool it down a little bit. Yeah, no, I'm not saying Rocco's perfect. I'm just saying, uh, well, and in this scene particularly, we we know that they they have watched the news and they found out that this particular detective is on their trail, and the two. Saints have already dealt with him, so they know he's a smart guy and a good guy, so they like him. And Rocco already brought up, hey, maybe we should get this guy off our tail. We got to do him in. So Rocco is still thinking like a gangster. So uh, he he sees him drunk stumbling in this church, and he follows him in there. And then, yeah, he gets into the confessional and holds the priest at gunpoint. And he's thinking about often the cop that could bring them down. So. Yeah. Yeah, so we're we're taught a moral lesson here by the by the Irish murderers, you know, uh, that that listen, you can't go around just killing everybody. People deserve it, and people don't deserve it. So yeah, Rocco's not a perfect character, but he's not a he's not a he's a flawed character, but his flaws are also his beauties. You know what I mean? Um, no, I don't know what you mean. I, I don't. He's a shithead. He yeah, you don't, the whole time. you don't know. You don't know what I mean because you don't fucking get it. He's got his yeah. flaws. He's learning, okay, and he doesn't actually do anything that bad other than he does. We've gone over all the things he does that are so bad. He <laughs> doesn't kill the priest, right? He's he's only he's held at gunpoint. Is why he doesn't kill the priest. Worst thing he did was kill a cat, okay, and that was an accident. And murder a bartender and sexually assault an innocent stripper. But other than that, yeah, hey, he's a good guy. First of all. That wasn't sexual assault because it was. He was, was going to tip her. <laughs> that, that's what she came here to do. Oh, and then, second of all, that bartender had it coming. You know, yeah. we know that he had it coming. He wouldn't have killed him otherwise. Whatever. Right. The Move point on. of the point of the church scene is Smecker is so drunk now that he confesses that he doesn't really want to capture the saints because he agrees with what they're doing. And he's starting to relate to them. And he says, listen, you know, I'm all tied up by police tape and bells and whistles. And I can't properly do my job. But these guys are out here doing God's work. And the, the priest confirms, hey, the laws of God are higher than the laws of man. 
Yeah. So, so he basically says, hey, uh, if you feel that way, then yeah. Yeah, that's if fine. God, hey, if God spoke to you and told you it's cool to kill people, go out and kill people. Yep. So Smecker now is pretty much committed to, hey, screw it. I'm going to help the saints. I'm not going to try to catch them anymore. They're doing the right thing. I'm going to become uh, an ally of theirs. No, yeah, he's uh, at this point. He admits that he agrees with what they're doing, and and that it's okay. The priest gives him passage to say, "Yeah, it's okay." All right, all right. So the uh, the saints decide now to coordinate a final attack here. Well, it's probably not their final attack, but their biggest attack, and that's going to be on Papa Joe, whatever his last name is. Papa Joe, yeah. the insignificant gangster. Papa Joe, the horseshoe-haired balding guy. Yeah, so they uh, they decide to attack him and, and take him out, but Agent Smecker finds out that Joe is ready for the Saints, and he has all of his remaining mobsters at his home in anticipation of the Saints coming to get him. Mm-hmm. So he resolves to go help them somehow. We don't see how he's going to do it quite yet. And then they didn't show this scene. Uh, the Saints are captured in the basement of Papa Joe's house, they did I miss it or did they just not show the scene? They just don't show it. They say, "Oh, they tried to sneak in through the back, and we were waiting for them." Yeah, so, so they, they're caught. It just yeah, did that. We don't get any lead up, and you know what? I'm glad we didn't because that would have just been more wasted time. So they've just shown up, tried to sneak in the back. That's all we hear through dialogue, and then we cut to a scene where they're all three down in the basement, tied up. Yeah, so the three of them are tied up in the chair. Papa Joe has no clue what to do with these guys that are trying to murder him. Seems pretty clear <laughs> to me. Yeah, why even not kill all three of them? I don't know. He says, oh, how are we going to get them to talk? They're trying to kill you, dude. Just kill them. Like, there's nothing to talk about. Just kill yeah, them. Yeah, what's guys. there to talk about? What are they going to tell you? Like, you're not trying to interrogate them. You're trying to stop them from killing you, which killing them is the, is the only logical answer. Yeah, it's so like you're not trying to you're not trying to figure out where the money's hidden. You're not trying to figure out where's the gold map. You're not trying to figure out where's the fucking, you know, who who told who told about us to the police. There's no reason not to kill all three of these people. If you you know right away. Yeah. Maybe torture them a little bit. But yeah, they they should uh... walk in the fucking room, put a bullet between each one of their ears and then tell your fucking men to bury them. Like, this yep. gangster is completely inefficient at his job. Oh, yeah. He's, he's the softest mob boss I think I've ever seen. I could, run the bo- I could run the mafia in Boston if this is how it is. Yeah, I think you could. So here we, uh, we get a scene where I guess it's supposed to carry some emotional weight with the audience or somebody. I did not care at all. Uh, Papa Joe decides to walk in and shoot Rocco and that's going to uh, that's that's going to teach the saints a real lesson. Yeah. So he walks well, in I I'm going to admit that uh they're they become way overly attached to Rocco. Yeah, they they're crying, they're screaming that yeah. the really bad <laughs> thing is it's like another brother died and it's I don't, like, Rocco. And like I get the sense that's what they're going for that he was he was now like another brother of theirs but uh, he doesn't feel like a brother to, of theirs to us. So maybe this is another point where if you liked Rocco, this mattered to you. And if you didn't, you didn't care. Obviously, the Saints cared. I was happy Rocco died. I didn't like the Saints acting performance. Like you just said, they overacted. And the one in particular is like, 
Rocco, brother, brother. Yeah. And, and Norman Reedus is saying, is like down there you know, in his chair, like face down with him, and he's crying. It's yeah, just... like rubbing his face all against him. And it's just, it's over dramatic, and it doesn't, it yeah. doesn't really, it doesn't really, the characters that they've built just, it doesn't really mesh with that, I guess. Yeah. And it's another one that's like, what's the genre? Why do I care? Is this funny? Because it's almost funny. You know, it, I just, I don't get it. It's dumb. It was all dumb. And this is kind of like the climax, you know? Yeah, I didn't like it. Yeah. So, uh, and the mob again looks completely weak. They shoot Rocco and then leave the room, leave the Saints completely <laughs> unguarded. To discuss what they should do with the Saints. What should we do next? Other than kill them. We can't do that. What oh, wait. We but we, we do get a valuable piece of information here whenever they leave the room. They talk about it and they're like, El Duce is on the way, and he doesn't know that the hit is off now, so he's just kind of come in here and start killing everybody. <laughs> oh, that's right. They're they're scared of El Duce now. Yeah, yeah. So all of a sudden, oh yeah, El Duce, he's still out there. Okay, the boogie the boogeyman is still there. We we'll better so, leave these saints unguarded and think about. Yeah. It. So let's let's walk out here and read. Let's like time out. Let's go talk this one over. Yeah, we got a twenty second twenty second timeout for blue team, and they go out and they discuss a little quick strategy. And uh, Papa Joe Yacovetti says, all right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get in my car and fucking leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he leaves. He says, you guys take care of the you problem. You guys go down and take care of this, the problem. It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. First of all, you could have just shot them both. They're like, oh, okay. And then next is your, your, your way to show strength among your soldiers is I'm leaving. You guys take care of it. Yeah, it's, it's really but, pathetic. And, when El Duce shows up, you fight El Duce to the death. This guy that we know could potentially kill all you, but yeah, worst mob boss ever, maybe. And what kind of hitman is El Duce if if he's just gonna kill the people that hired him? <laughs> like the mm-hmm. Italian mob hired you, dude. Why would you fear this guy? And why well, would you hire him if he's that scary? That's why they discussed the risks of unlo- unleashing the El Duce. Yeah. Well while he's, the uh, he's a he's a loose cannon. While they're having this pointless discussion, the Saints when are... He, when he's had his Metamucil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once he's had his, his morning fiber, LDJ yeah. is very dangerous. Uh-huh. But while they're after discussing this... this after, he <laughs> after he does his Sudoku puzzles, he's a loose cannon. <laughs> after he takes his morning shit and does his crossword. <laughs> Uh, anyway, the the saints are escaping, obviously, while uh, while they're discussing this metamucil. They're like, how do they escape? Do they like kick the one the one saint kicks the other's hands until they? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, which is kind of fucked up. So like, so he he has his hands behind himself to the chair, cuffed in, and he's like, break it, go ahead, do it. And the other brother kicks his hand and breaks it, apparently, so when he can slip it through the handcuff. So he breaks his thumb so he can, like, disjoint it and go through the handcuff. And uh, which still leaves him one handcuff to the chair. But uh, they – so he gets up and he gets something sharp and the mafia guy comes in. As soon as he walks in – oh, wait, but we got to – we have. Yeah, yeah, don't don't skip too far ahead yet. But they – so, yeah, they get loose is all we know now. And then we yeah. cut to a ring at the doorbell and a beautiful lady is there on the doorstep to greet one of these <laughs> mafia underlings. 
Va va boom. Ooh la la. So it's actually Agent Smecker. And now tell me this, as an actor, how much respect or how difficult is this? If you're not a homosexual actor or person, how difficult is this to full-on tongue kiss another dude? I mean, is it just another day at the office? Is this something you have to prepare for? Well, yeah, if you're a professional actor, you got to consider it as another day at the, at the office. But uh, if you're a little bit insecure, maybe about your sexuality, then it might be a problem. I mean, even if you're not insecure, is it still, I mean, you can totally support all gay people and still not want to tongue kiss another dude. I mean, obviously, if you're sure. making millions of dollars doing the movie, it's, you know, it is what it is. But props That's... to Willem Dafoe again, man, like, and this other guy, you know. So, so, but here's the, here's the issue. Like if you sign up to a show and you agree to rand kiss a random woman in front of you. Right. Right. And you're acting out a performance that is a character. What's the difference between kissing a random woman and kissing a random man? Well, I would assume that growing up throughout your life, you probably have kissed other random women, but you've never kissed a random man. Yeah. I so say you're, you're culturally, you're culturally conditioned to think one is worse than the other. Well, not necessarily worse. I mean, something can make you uncomfortable if you've never done it before without having a problem with it. Like maybe you could see two men kissing. No, if it, and be fine if it with makes it not if it makes it you yourself. yeah, you can not want to do it, but that means it's making you uncomfortable. And if it makes you uncomfortable, that means that you have a problem with it. You know what I mean? I guess. But either now, way, so the, 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 the idea is like, if you don't want to do it, I mean, there's ways for actors to get around it. If you don't want to do that, you can put it into your contract or whatever. But uh, essentially, in the end, in the end, you just have to say, listen, I'm here to play a character that's not me, you know, because I kiss another man in the scene doesn't mean that I'm gay, you know, <laughs> so right. obviously it doesn't. But you have to. If you can't come to terms with that idea, then you're going to have a lot of moral conundrums in the whole entirety of the acting world. Well, I guess what I'm getting at is it's probably a lot more difficult for other actors. But when you get to a fucking acting genius like Willem Dafoe, he yeah. put he puts his he heart puts and some soul. Real, he puts some tongue into it, yeah. not just some heart and soul. Like he gets his tongue out there. Yes, he tongues this dude. And he seduces the man at the door, and I mean respect on this like that's not a stunt double that is fucking defoe dressed as a woman tonguing this dude for a movie that's rated 28 percent on rotten tomatoes yeah yeah and it does it deserves just for the tongue kiss it deserves 28 percent. then you add on everything else he did you know agreed so yeah he kisses this dude and that's how he gets inside he seduces the guy but his wig comes off so he has to kill him uh he kills this mobster and then he goes through a little mini rampage in the house. The reason he's there is to save the saints. Now he, uh, he's mm-hmm. fully on board with what the saints are doing. Yeah. He's their He's their new representative on the force. Yep. And so he, because he they had a conversation, right? They had a conversation on the phone. They told him they were going there and we skipped that, but they, they have a conversation where they tell him that they're going to the, to the house. And then he finds out the house is packed with gunmen for, <laughs> And so he goes to help them out. Yeah. And so he, he kills a few people in the house. He sees a, another gangster with his throat cut and he's wondering who could have done that. And that is when El Duce sneaks up behind him and bludgeons him in the head really for no reason. And then he just leaves him there. Like, why? Why, why did? And honestly, if you think back, 
So the next scene is El Duce in, encountering the Saints. They didn't need to have any of this Defoe cross-dressing scene. There was no point in terms of the story. It really didn't serve a purpose. He doesn't yeah. save the Saints. And Not, he doesn't do anything. It, wow, I didn't even think about that, yeah. I mean, he kills yeah. two guys, but El Duque, or, yeah, the Duke could have done that. So I guess he it was does, just there yeah. to uh, build on the character a little bit. I guess. And also at one point, like when he's in the bathroom on the floor with, and he, he ends up like kneeing the guy in the nuts and then shooting him in the head and he stands up and his wigs off and he's like, too far, too far. You've gone too far. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, you... like he realizes, he realizes now he's way too deep into this fucking, uh, this murder case. So it's, I guess it's the, the end of the cycle for his character sort of. Because we don't really get anything after after this from him, but it's one of the better scenes with him. It's one of the more entertaining scenes. Not the best, I would say, but it's one of the more entertaining scenes with him. And it kind of gives us some sort of uh, full finality to his character, sort of. Yeah, well, there is one more scene with Smecker at the very end. But, yeah, I think it was just there to uh, let let Defoe showcase his, his chops, man, like. Because he kills it in the scene, uh, just like he kills it in every other scene. So that's the best decision this director could have made because that it, the whole show was built on this guy's chops. Agreed. Uh, in terms of the real story, now we uh, the two saints are getting ready to kill the guy that he walked into. Uh, he says, "I'm going to go beat on these these boys some more," and he walks in there, and that's when one of the saints uh, stabs him. They tie mm-hmm. him up to a chair. They get their guns out or whatever, and they're saying their prayer. And they're about to execute this mobster. And El Duce walks up behind them, seemingly to execute them. But he hears the prayer, and he starts reciting it himself. Yeah, this is this is a big shit moment for me. Yeah, this is a total eye roll. I even wrote down. Yeah, I was like, okay, all right. Ah, uh, he starts saying the prayer. Oh my God, it's his their long lost father. Yep, El like, Duce is their father. We haven't got any clues to this in the entirety of the script. So yeah. here's a rule with writing scripts. You have, if you want to make something like symbolism or something uh, um, thematic throughout a script, you have to at least mention it three times throughout the script. Yeah. Right. And this is not mentioned to us. I don't believe anywhere in the script. There's nothing about their father other than the fact that it's a family prayer there's no mention of them possibly being related. Yeah. But you can see it coming from a mile away. Oh, yeah. So it's Not only do they not mention it, but the only thing you can assume is that they've never met. He's a long-lost father. Because yeah. El Duce tries to kill them earlier in the movie. And they're not wearing yeah. masks at that point. So, uh, you so can, he, he's a totally well, we, absent we, father. We do know that he has been locked up for 25 years, they say. And we can assume these guys are right around 25 years old, maybe younger. So I don't know. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. It was a total eye roll. El Duce actually joins the Saints and becomes one of them after hearing this prayer and realizes that they're family. So he is now Papa Duce. Yeah. So stupid. I mean, it makes sense for the Duce character because he also w- had a moralistic twist to him, like where he didn't kill women and children, and like he only wanted to kill dirty gangsters or whatever. So it kind of has a, it makes sense there, but at the same time, it doesn't really make any sense because we just have got no clues into this. Yeah. 
And that's basically the movie. There is one final scene, and that is at the trial of Papa Joe. Yeah. We learn that the, you know, the media is, they show some news clips, and it's pretty apparent that he's going to get off on all the charges that they have against yeah, he's, him. Yeah, he's, he's about to get off scot-free. So the Saints and El Duce attend the trial. They immediately take over the courtroom. Just the three of them, they, they intimidate the security guards and you know, every other person in there is afraid of the saints. They go up behind Papa Joe. They say their prayer. They're ready to kill him. They do say a couple pretty cool lines. Like, I forget what it is yeah. exactly, but it's like you know, lesser sins you can indulge in, but certain sins yeah. you need to watch out for us, the saints, the boondock saints or whatever. Yeah, they basically give a speech proclaiming themselves as the new Batman. Yeah, they're the new Batman. And the uh, that's the wrap-up of Joe's character because he dies. The Saints presumably continue to be the Saints. And Smecker, Agent Smecker, watches the murder from outside the courtroom doors and, and does nothing. <laughs> yeah, he's, so worse than, he's worse than Rocco. Come he, on. He's not worse than Rocco because he appreciates what the Saints are doing. He doesn't kill a single innocent person in the whole movie. Uh, the gangster that just wanted a hand job. No, the gangster was obviously a gangster and a bad dude. Uh, all right, all right. I was going to try to make a case, but it just didn't make sense. Uh, the worst thing you can say about Smecker is when he bitch slaps his little boyfriend and, and calls him a fag. Also, tampering with evidence, he stole the finger from the scene and didn't report that. Like, he goes off the rails. He's He gets psycho. Whatever. He's a great guy. He's a great detective. Well, I'm just saying, he's psycho. Like, I like, I like him. He's a good detective and all that. But he gets psycho, and then he aids and abets two serial killers he is a little psycho so uh yeah so that's the movie uh when the credits roll there's a montage of uh public reaction to the saints and half of them are saying i love the saints i love what they're doing and then the other half is saying these guys are dangerous we need to let the law do its job and you know they're taking the the law under their own they're taking the law under their own hands uh thematically i thought they could have done some better stuff with that but it was kind of interesting to sort of, you know, to see the the difference in the ideas of are these guys good guys? Are these guys ba- are they bad guys? Or are they, you know, are they what? But it, yeah, it was just kind of like whatever. Yeah, there was a lot of moments like that of yeah, whatever. But there were some really great moments too. And so that's that's the movie. Uh, it's certainly going to be higher than twenty eight percent for me because of the things I liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There were some things I didn't like. And uh, I'm interested to hear what you've got. But first, let's get to some favorite lines. All right. So my favorite line, the first one that I wrote down was uh, when they send him in with the six shooter, they go, they sent you in with a six shooter and they're holding uh, Rocco at gunpoint. They still have their mask on and they go, what were you going to do? Laugh the last three to death. (laughs) Funny guy. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. So that was the first one I, I, I wrote down. Oh, wait, no, no, I sorry, I skipped. The first one was from the bartender. He goes, don't forget what they always say. People in glass houses <laughs> sink ships. Yeah, that was one of mine, too, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I got that one in there. I would have liked uh, more scenes of him mixing up uh, phrases because that's, that's what he's doing here. He's mixing two uh, phrases yeah. together. Yeah, they're mixing two, like, uh, what are those called? Uh, There's a word for them. I don't know what they are. Cliches, yeah, cliches, a phrase, and he mixes two of them together. And then he's, later he says, why don't you make like a tree and uh, 
and get the fuck out of here (laughs) instead of instead of make like a tree and leave yeah 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 that's the only line that was not said by defoe that was in my favorites was that one yeah and then the my the last one that i wrote down was uh defoe there was a firefight (laughs) yeah i i I wrote that one down i've got three other defoe lines that i love uh he he orders his coffee and he says with cream and with sugar or whatever and then he says something else that schools greenly and after greenly has to accept this schooling he gets close to his ear and he says, sweet and low. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. like he's Twisted taunting lemon, him. sweet and low. Yeah, he's taunting him with his coffee order. And then also when he says uh, to his little prostitute boyfriend, after he gets off. Hey, the- hey, we don't know that he's a prostitute. Okay, off, off, the, off the phone with his boyfriend. Or, you know, when he's done with his boyfriend, when he gets the phone call, he says, what the hell are you doing? And the boyfriend says, what? I was trying to cuddle. And he says, cuddle? What a fag. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah, and I forgot to mention that one, but that's also one of my favorites. Like, that's hilarious, but just because the, the the irony of it. Yeah, and then uh, I also liked whenever he says to everyone in the police department's going to be kissing his ass after he figures out what the Saints did, and then he figures it out, and Greenlee walks up behind him, and Defoe just casually points behind his shoulder, and he says, we'll start the ass kissing with you. Because he, yeah. he's going to have to do the deepest ass kissing after Defoe was yeah. right once again. Yep. So those are my favorite lines, almost exclusively Agent Smecker. Uh, Willem Defoe is Agent Smecker. Well, there's no hiding it. He's definitely the bright spot in this movie, and and uh, and it's it's such a bright bright spot that it's hard to ignore. Uh, the other stuff is fun though. Like the movie in general is is a pretty fun shoot 'em up action movie. So, so for me, like it's, if, if you take out Defoe, it's on the verge of rewatchable, which we've established as a 10 out of 20 rancid tacos for us. Right. Yeah. But then you, then you add Defoe in there and all of a sudden it bumps the movie up to so much more artistically and like, and just, uh, just the way that he, he does it is just amazing. And so for my personal score, uh, I went 14 of 20, which, you know, is <clears throat> it's not an A-list movie. It's more like a B or C, B, C, you know, line list movie. But it's it's a still it's still a passing grade. And rewatching this movie, I, I thought to myself, man, I, I really hope this movie doesn't disappoint me. And I and I think, fuck, why did I like this movie when I was a kid? And yes, picking it apart, there there were some there were some problems that I found with it. But. Ultimately, it was still pretty entertaining. Yeah, and I actually have the exact same grade as you. I picked 14 as well, though I will disagree. If not for Defoe, I would not ever want to see this movie again. I didn't think there was a single other actor that did even a decent job besides him. The story was stupid. I mean, all in all, it was it may be a cool concept, but it was just not very good. Yeah, uh, it alternated between boring me and thrilling me, and so that you know the the Defoe scenes were were thrilling. The rest of the movie was pretty boring. Uh, it it had some very cringy moments. I did like the music a few times. I'm not into the over the top action uh, very much at all, but still mm-hmm. the strength of Defoe's acting as well as the music in certain parts of the movie. Yeah, made it for me. It's better than the butterfly effect. I would 
probably rather watch this than that again. And yeah, I gave Butterfly Effect a thirteen. I'm going to give this one a fourteen. Well, yeah. So that's that's uh, that's cool. Like it's great that we agree on that. But uh, also, I think you're under valuing what Rocco really brought to the script. Oh, <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you decided to take Rocco's side just to be against uh, me because that just means you lose another podcast. Again. You already you lost the podcast. We established this earlier. You lost the podcast earlier on some No, you some, said it, but you were dead wrong and, and yeah, you some lose again. foolish some foolishly oversaw thing that you didn't even check out. Now you've lost the podcast. You can't get it back, okay? No, you lost last week within the first 10 seconds of starting the podcast. You lost this week defending Rocco. You're on a streak of losing. No, this was a win. I won this podcast. First of all, we graded the podcast exactly the same. I picked this podcast, or I picked this movie. You picked the last movie, and it was shit. I picked this movie. It was not bad. It was also shit. And it also incorporated Willem Dafoe, so it couldn't have been complete shit. So I win this podcast. What was it earlier we said that I won the podcast for? You said something that didn't make any sense. I'm gonna, I'll go back and check. But yeah, you said you won, but you didn't win. I remember that. Yeah, no, I already won the podcast, so that's over. We're not even talking about that. Well, you, you may win next week because you get to see Legend with fresh eyes, which I wish Ooh. I could. I'm, I'm really looking forward to you watching this movie, and if you don't like it. You better think of a lie to tell me. Because yeah, and just to clarify, this is not the movie I Am Legend that most no. of you might be thinking we are reviewing, which would probably make more sense. This is some obscure fucking satanic fantastic movie with Tom Cruise, right? Yes, it's it's a fantasy. It's a two-hour fantasy movie with Tom Cruise, unicorns, Satan, elves. I think there's some dwarves oh. in it. Uh, it's Man. It's great. All right, here's the here's the deal for the next one. If this if that podcast outproduces the Crucible, you win the <laughs> you win the podcast. If okay. it does not, then I win the podcast because I picked the Crucible, and that's probably our least popular podcast, right? Is it well, the program? Is, no, the Crucible actually is done okay. It's it's the program. Oh. No one likes the program. Oh, the program. Well, I picked that one too, technically. So, all right, if it outproduces the program then you win the podcast. Okay, but the thing is, is you're going to like the movie so much, you're going to grant me the win for introducing you to this movie. Hey, if it's that good, I will. I'll, I'll do it. Uh, and you better get used to seeing Tom Cruise's meaty upper thigh because he's wearing, he's wearing a little skirt for most of the movie, it seems like. Listen, just as long as you don't make me get used to seeing Tom Cruise because he's one of my least favorite Hollywood actors of all time. I'm I'm trying to think of another Tom Cruise movie that I would be interested in doing, and I can't think of maybe Jerry Maguire. Vanilla Sky is the only one that's kind of interesting. I think it would fit with the stuff that we talk about. What's he even famous for? Like Top Gun, Top uh, Gun, Risky Business, Foot, uh, Footloose. Was that him? No. no. Uh, Was he the, in James Bond or something? I mean, or? he's in everything. That's the problem. He's, he's the fucking Hollywood number one actor. I mean, there's so many things that Tom Cruise has been in. Well, I'm not really super into his movies either, so you don't have to no, worry about that. No, he's not that good. He's like, he's not good. Yeah, well, Tim Curry steals the spotlight from Tom Cruise in this movie, uh, Legend. God, I hope I'm right about that. I might have just lost him. I'm pretty, I'm like 90% <laughs> sure it's Tim Curry. Yeah, it better be. I think it is. I think... I think I read up on it and it is Tim Curry. 
All right. Well, uh, which well, Tim Curry is fucking fabulous. So he's going to save it. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm confident that you're going to like this one. And I think the audience is going to like this one too. So give it a chance. If you haven't seen legends, watch legends and then check out our podcast when we put it out. You're it's going to be a good one. All right. That, that should, that should wrap it up. And if you ask me if there's anything I got to fucking add to this podcast, the answer is no. Uh, you really, I thought you'd have a lot more to add to this one. Well, just a couple more things about Rocco. Yeah, Rocco was a piece of shit. Go ahead and why don't you just hail your boy, hail Rocco? Listen, you fucking you you're you're just another guy that was bullying Rocco. Rocco's just a numbers runner. He's an errand boy. Come on, like you, you're making Rocco out to be this guy. Like, the, if anything, he would have been a completely lovable character had not the Saints corrupted him. No, no. The only decent thing Rocco did the entire movie was when he reluctantly said racist things. He didn't want to be racist during the joke. No, no. The first scene when he comes into the bar and is friendly with everybody and buying shots for people, and then the Russians show up, like, he's obviously a good friend. Oh, hey, I forgot to mention this, but I got to point this. There is one last thing I wanted to mention about uh, Boondock Saints. So in that very first bar fight, um, they're threatening the Russian mobsters, and Rocco starts to tell a joke uh, a stupid joke and one of the mobsters punches him in the face if you pay close attention he finishes the joke mid punch so so he gets punched and then he continues to say his line <laughs> see that's even more badass it's just an editing error actually but it's pretty funny so i just wanted to point that one out to you well i, I can't thing- believe i forgot to mention it the thing is, is I, I, I said earlier, I didn't like Rocco the actor, but I liked Rocco the character, kind of. Yeah, well, he's, he sucked in every way, and we'll never mention him again. It's all over. All right, whatever. Goodbye, Rocco. Hail Payman. Hail Mary Moss. Yep, and hail Melkor. And hail Brando. And also, please, email us at rancidtacopodcast at gmail.com. All right, and if you don't have anything else to add about Boondock Saints, which that's my way of not asking you but still saying it. Yeah, yeah, I've now come to accept that it's not actually you're asking me, you're just wrapping everything up. Uh, I get it. No, I have nothing to add further about the Boondock Saints. Awesome, good job. Well, then, in that case, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you next week. See you next week. What's happening? Sky? Oh, God. You're gone. Everyone loves movies from Webster to Morocco. Who needs rotten tomatoes when you've got the rancid tacos?
This podcast is brought to you by West Virginia Pepperoni Rolls.